Hi, I'm Eric, and this is Listen to Sleep, quiet bedtime stories to help you fall asleep. It's Labor Day weekend, which is always unofficially the end of summer up here on the mountain. It used to be when the rain started as well, shortly hereafter anyway. Now, sometimes we go into December with it still dry. I'm hoping this year won't be quite that bad and that the fire season will get cut short with some rain soon. So if you can send some rain vibes our way, we would really appreciate it. Joe and I have been enjoying the slightly cooler weather and getting out in the afternoons to get some chores done. We planted some berries this year down by the creek in the hopes that the roots would get down to the water level of the creek by next year and they would be self-supporting without needing any extra water. Right now, we still have to water them by hand a couple times a week. Yesterday, we took a walk down there in the late afternoon and I put a little video of it up on my new TikTok. I know, I'm probably way too old to be on TikTok, but I'm having fun with it. If you'd like to see it, you can follow me on TikTok or you can go to the blog. I put the video in this week's post. You can find it at listentosleep.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. I'd like to thank everyone who sent their condolences last week on the loss of our friend Greg. It was heartwarming to get your messages, and I will forward them along to Carrie, his wife, as well. I would also like to thank all the folks who joined the Patreon this week and are helping to support Listen to Sleep. Thank you, Rachel, Susan, Bronte, Naima, Austin, Jesse, Samantha, Michelle, Tiana, Lana, and Jeff. There were also a couple of couples who joined the Patreon this week. They listened together, like I've heard a lot of you do. Thank you to Michelle and Philip and Tony and Melanie. If you'd like to get the podcast a day earlier with no ads or introductions, you can join the Patreon for less than a dollar a month. And there's a link in the show notes, or you can get more information at listentosleep.com. This week's story is about a good-hearted fairy who tries to make things better for the people around her, but first ends up making them a little worse. Let's take a deep breath. And out. Letting go of the day. Feeling yourself sinking down deep into your mattress. The weight of gravity just pulling you down. Let's take another deep breath in. And out. Nothing to do, nowhere to go. This is your time. Quiet time. 
And one more deep breath in with me. And out. If you get sleepy while I'm reading to you, that's okay. Just let yourself drift off. A Fairy's Blunder Once upon a time, there lived a fairy whose name was Dindonette. She was the best creature in the world, with the kindest heart. But she had not much sense, and was always doing things to benefit people, which generally ended in causing pain and distress to everybody concerned. No one knew this better than the inhabitants of an island far off in the midst of the sea, which, according to the laws of fairyland, she had taken under her special protection, thinking day and night of what she could do to make the isle the most pleasant place in the whole world, as it was already the most beautiful. Now, what happened was this. As the fairy went about, unseen, from house to house, she heard everywhere children longing for the time when they would be grown up and able they thought, to do as they liked. And old people talking about the past and sighing to be young again. Is there no way of satisfying these poor things, she thought. And then, one night, an idea occurred to her. Oh, yes, of course. It has been tried before, but I will manage better than the rest, with their old fountain of youth, which, after all, only made people young again. I will enchant the spring that bubbles up in the middle of the orchard, and the children that drink of it shall at once become grown men and women and the old people return to the days of their childhood. And without stopping to consult one single other fairy, who might have given her good advice, off rushed Dindonette to cast her spell over the fountain. It was the only spring of fresh water on the island and at dawn was crowded with people of all ages, come to drink at its source. Delighted at her plan for making them all happy, the fairy hid herself behind a thicket of roses and peeped out whenever footsteps came that way. It was not long before she had ample proof of the success of her enchantments. Almost before her eyes, the children put on the size and strength of adults, while the old men and women instantly became helpless 
tiny babies. Indeed, so pleased was she with the result of her work that she could no longer remain hidden, and went about telling everybody what she had done, and enjoying their gratitude and thanks. But after the first outburst of delight at their wishes being granted, people began to be a little frightened at the rapid effects of the magic water. It was delicious to feel yourself at the height of your power and beauty. But you would wish to keep so always. Now, this was exactly what the fairy had been in too much of a hurry to arrange. And no sooner had the children become grown up and the men and women become babies then they all rushed on to old age at an appalling rate. The fairy only found out her mistake when it was too late to set it right. When the inhabitants of the island saw what had befallen them, they were filled with despair and did everything they could think of to escape from such a dreadful fate. They dug wells in their places, so that they should no longer need to drink from the magic spring. But the sandy soil yielded no water, and the rainy season was already past. They stored up the dew that fell, and the juice of fruits and of herbs, but all this was as a drop in the ocean of their wants. Some threw themselves into the sea, trusting that the current might carry them to other shores. They had no boats. And a few, still more impatient, put themselves to death on the spot. The rest submitted blindly to their destiny. Perhaps the worst part of the enchantment was that change from one age to another was so rapid that the person had no time to prepare themselves for it. It would not have mattered so much if the person who stood up in the assembly of the nation to give their advice as to peace or war had looked like a baby as long as they spoke with the knowledge and sense of a full-grown person. But alas, with the outward form of an infant, they had taken on its helplessness and foolishness, and there was no one who could train them to better things. The end of it all was that before a month had passed, the population had died out, and the fairy, Dindonette, ashamed and grieved at the effects of her folly, had left the island forever. Many centuries after, the fairy Selnozura, who had fallen into bad health, was ordered by her doctors to make the tour of the world twice a week 
for change of air. And in one of these journeys, she found herself at Fountain Island. Selnazura never made these trips alone, but always took with her two children, of whom she was very fond. Cornichon, a boy of fourteen, whom she had rescued in his childhood after he had been stolen from his parents. And Tupet, a few months younger, who had been entrusted to the care of the fairy by her guardian, the genius Christopo. Cornichon and Tupet were intended by Selnozura to become husband and wife as soon as they were old enough. Meanwhile, they traveled with her in a little vessel, whose speed through the air was just a thousand nine hundred and fifty times greater than that of the swiftest of our ships. Struck with the beauty of the island, Selnozura ran the vessel to ground, and leaving it in the care of the dragon which lived in the hold during the voyage, she stepped on shore with her two companions. Surprised at the sight of a large town whose streets and houses were absolutely desolate, the fairy resolved to put her magic arts in practice to find out the cause. While she was thus engaged, Cornichon and Toupette wandered away by themselves, and by and by arrived at the fountain, whose bubbling waters looked cool and delicious on such a hot day. Scarcely had they each drunk a deep draft when the fairy, who by this time had discovered all she wished to know, hastened to the spot. Oh, beware, beware, she cried the moment she saw them. If you drink that deadly poison, you will be ruined forever. Poison, answered Tupet. It is the most refreshing water I have ever tasted, and Cornichon will say so too. Unhappy children, then I am too late. Why did you leave me? Listen, I will tell you what has befallen the wretched inhabitants of this island, and what will befall you too. The power of fairies is great, she added, when she had finished her story. But they cannot destroy the work of another fairy. Very shortly, you will pass into the weakness and silliness of extreme old age. And all I can do for you is to make it as easy for you as possible, and to preserve you from the death that others have suffered, from having no one to look after them. But the charm is working already. 
Cornichon is taller and more manly than he was an hour ago. And Toupette no longer looks like a little girl. It was true, but this fact did not seem to render the young people as miserable as it did Selnozura. Do not pity us, said Cornichon. If we are fated to grow old so soon, let us not delay our marriage. What matter if we anticipate our decay, if we only anticipate our happiness too? The fairy felt that Cornichon had reason on his side, and seeing by a glance at Toupette's face that there was no opposition to be feared from her, she answered, Let it be so then, but not in this dreadful place. We will return at once to Bagota, and the festivities shall be the most brilliant ever seen. They all returned to the vessel, and in a few hours the 4,500 miles that lay between the island and Bagota were passed. Everyone was surprised to see the change which the short absence had made in the young people. But as the fairy had promised absolute silence about the adventure, they were none the wiser and busied themselves in preparing their dresses for the marriage, which was fixed for the next night. Early on the following morning, the genius Cristopo arrived at the court. On one of the visits he was in the habit of paying his ward from time to time. Like the rest, he was astonished at the sudden improvement in the child. He had always been fond of her, and in a moment he fell violently in love. Hastily demanding an audience of the fairy, he laid his proposals before her, never doubting that she would give her consent to so brilliant a match. But... Selnozura refused to listen, and even hinted that in his own interest Cristopo had better turn his thoughts elsewhere. The genius pretended to agree, but instead he went straight to Toupette's room and flew away with her through the window at the very instant that the bridegroom was awaiting her below. When the fairy discovered what had happened, she was furious and sent messenger after messenger to the genius in his palace at Ratibouf, commanding him to restore Toupette without delay and threatening to make war in case of refusal. Christopo gave no direct answer to the fairy's envoys, but kept Toupette closely guarded in a tower, 
where the poor girl used all her powers of persuasion to induce him to put off their marriage. All would, however, have been quite in vain if, in the course of a few days, sorrow, joined to the spell of the magic water, had not altered her appearance so completely that Cristopo was quite alarmed, and declared that she needed amusement and fresh air, and that, as his presence seemed to distress her, she should be left her own mistress. But one thing he declined to do, and that was to send her back to Bagota. In the meantime, both sides had been busily collecting armies, and Cristopo had given the command of his to a famous general, while Selnozura had placed Cornichon at the head of her forces. But before war was actually declared, Tupet's parents, who had been summoned by the genius, arrived at Ratibouf. They had never seen their daughter since they parted from her as a baby. But from time to time, travelers to Bagota had brought back accounts of her beauty. What was their amazement, therefore, at finding, instead of a lovely girl, a middle-aged woman, handsome indeed, but quite faded, looking, in fact, older than themselves. Cristopo, hardly less astonished than they were at the sudden change, thought that it was a joke on the part of one of his courtiers, who had hidden to pet away and put this elderly lady in her place. Bursting with rage, he sent instantly for all the servants and guards of the town, and inquired who had the insolence to play such a trick on him, and what had become of their prisoner. They replied that since Tupet had been in their charge, she had never left her rooms unveiled, and that during her walks in the surrounding gardens, her food had been brought in and placed on her table. As she preferred to eat alone, no one had ever seen her face or knew what she was like. The servants were clearly speaking the truth, and Cristopo was obliged to believe them. But, thought he, if they have not had a hand in this, it must be the work of the fairy. And in his anger, he ordered the army to be ready to march. On her side, Selnozura, of course, knew what the genius had to expect, but was deeply offended 
when she heard of the base trick which she was believed to have invented. Her first desire was to give battle to Cristopo at once. But with great difficulty, her ministers induced her to pause and to send an ambassador to Cristopo to try to arrange matters. So the Prince Zaprati departed for the court of Ratibouf, and on his way he met Cornichon, who was encamped with his army just outside the gates of Bagota. The prince showed him the fairy's written order, that for the present peace must still be kept, and Cornichon filled with longing to see Tupet once more, begged to be allowed to accompany Zapradi on his mission to Ratibouf. By this time, the genius's passion for Tupet, which had caused all these troubles, had died out, and he willingly accepted the terms of peace offered by Zapradi, though he informed the prince that he still believed the fairy to be guilty of the dreadful change in the girl. To this, the prince only replied that on that point, he had a witness who could prove better than anyone else if it was to pet or not, and desired that Cornichon should be sent for. When Tupet was told that she was to see her old lover again, her heart leapt with joy. But soon the recollection came to her of all that had happened, and she remembered that Cornichon would be changed as well as she. The moment of their meeting was not all happiness, especially on the part of Tupet who could not forget her lost beauty, and the genius, who was present, was at last convinced that he had not been deceived, and went out to sign the treaty of peace, followed by his attendants. Ah, Tupet, my dear Tupet, cried Cornichon, as soon as they were left alone. Now that we are once more united, let our past troubles be forgotten. Our past troubles, answered she, and what do you call our lost beauty and the dreadful future before us? You are looking fifty years older than when I saw you last. And I know too well that fate has treated me no better. Ah, oh, do not say that, replied Cornichon, clasping her hand. You are different, it is true. But every age has its graces. And surely no woman of sixty was ever handsomer than you. If your eyes had been as bright of yore, they would have matched badly 
with your faded skin. The wrinkles which I notice on your forehead explain the increased fullness of your cheeks, and your throat, in withering, is elegant in decay. Thus, the harmony shown by your features, even as they grow old, is the best proof of their former beauty. Oh, monster, cried Toupette, bursting into tears. Is that all the comfort you can give me? But, Toupette, answered Cornichon, you used to declare that you did not care for beauty as long as you had my heart. Yes, I know, said she. But how can you go on caring for a person who is as old and plain as I? To pet, to pet, replied Cornichon. You are only talking nonsense. My heart is as much yours as it ever was. And nothing in the world can make any difference. At this point of the conversation, the Prince Soprati entered the room with the news that the genius, full of regret for his behavior, had given Cornichon full permission to depart for Bagota as soon as he liked, and to take Toupet with him, adding that, though he begged they would excuse his taking leave of them before they went, he hoped, before long, to visit them at Bagota. Neither of the lovers slept that night. Cornichon from joy at returning home. Toupette from dread of the blow to her vanity which awaited her at Bagota. It was hopeless for Cornichon to try to console her during the journey with the reasons he had given the day before. She only grew worse and worse, and when they reached the palace, went straight to her old apartments, entreating the fairy to allow both herself and Cornichon to remain concealed, and to see no one. For some time after their arrival, the fairy was taken up with the preparations for the rejoicings, which were to celebrate the peace, and with the reception of the genius, who was determined to do all in his power to regain Selnozura's lost friendship. Cornichon and Toupette were therefore left entirely to themselves, and though this was only what they wanted, still they began to feel a little neglected. At length, one morning, they saw from the windows that the fairy and the genius were approaching, in state, with all their courtiers in attendance. Toupette instantly hid herself in the darkest corner of the room. But Cornichon, 
forgetting that he was now no longer a boy of fourteen, ran to meet them. In so doing, he tripped and fell, bruising one of his eyes severely. At the sight of her lover lying helpless on the floor, Toupette hastened to his side. But her feeble legs gave way under her, and she fell almost on top of him, knocking out three of her loosened teeth against his forehead. The fairy, who entered the room at this moment, burst into tears and listened in silence to the genius, who hinted that by and by everything would be put right. At the last assembly of the fairies, he said, when the doings of each fairy were examined and discussed, a proposal was made to lessen as far as possible the mischief caused by Dindonette in enchanting the fountain. And it was decided that, as she had meant nothing but kindness, she should have the power of undoing one half of the spell. Of course, she might always have destroyed the fatal fountain, which would have been best of all. But this she never thought of. Yet, in spite of this, her heart is so good that I am sure that the moment she hears that she is wanted, she will fly to help. Only, before she comes, it is for you, madam, to make up your mind which of the two shall regain their former strength and beauty. At these words, the fairy's soul sank. Both Cornichon and Toupette were equally dear to her, and how could she favor one at the cost of the other? As to the courtiers, none of the men were able to understand why she hesitated a second to declare for Toupette, while the ladies were equally strong on the side of Cornichon. But however undecided the fairy might be, it was quite different with Cornichon and Toupette. Ah, my love, exclaimed Cornichon, at length I shall be able to give you the best proof of my devotion by showing you how I value the beauties of your mind above those of your body. While the most charming women of the court will fall victims to my youth and strength, I shall think of nothing but how to lay them at your feet and pay heartfelt homage to your age and wrinkles. Not so fast, interrupted Toupette. I don't see why you should have it all. Why do you heap such humiliations upon me? But 
I will trust to the justice of the fairy, who will not treat me so. Then she entered her own rooms, and refused to leave them, in spite of the prayers of Cornichon, who begged her to let him explain. No one at the court thought or spoke of any other subject during the few days before the arrival of Dindonette, whom everybody expected to set things right in a moment. But alas, she had no idea herself what was best to be done, and always adopted the opinion of the person she was talking to. At length, a thought struck her, which seemed the only way of satisfying both parties, and she asked the fairy to call together all the court and the people to hear her decision. Happy are they, she began, who can repair the evil they have caused, but happier they who has never caused any. As nobody contradicted this remark, she continued. To me, it is only allowed to undo one half of the mischief I have wrought. I could restore you your youth, she said to Cornichon, or your beauty, turning to Toupette. I will do both, and I will do neither. A murmur of curiosity arose from the crowd, while Cornichon and Toupette trembled with astonishment. No, went on Dindonette, never should I have the cruelty to leave one of you to decay, while the other enjoys the glory of youth. And as I cannot restore you both at once to what you were, one half of each of your bodies shall become young again, while the other half goes on its way to decay. I will leave it to you to choose which half it shall be. If I shall draw a line around the waist, or a straight line down the middle of your body. She looked about her proudly, expecting applause for her clever idea. But Cornichon and Toupette were shaking with rage and disappointment, and everyone else broke into shouts of laughter, in pity for the unhappy lovers Selnazura came forward. Do you not think, she said, that instead of what you propose, it would be better to let them take it in turns to enjoy their former youth and beauty for a fixed time? I am sure you could easily manage that. What? An excellent notion, cried Dindonette. Oh, yes, of course, that is best. Which of you shall I touch first? Touch her, replied Cornichon, 
who was always ready to give way to Tupet. I know her heart too well to fear any change. So the fairy bent forward and touched her with her magic ring. And in one instant, the old woman was a girl again. The whole court wept with joy at the sight, and Tupet ran up to Cornichon, who had fallen down in his surprise, promising to pay him long visits and tell him of all her balls and water parties. The two fairies went to their own apartments, where the genius followed them to take his leave. Oh, dear, suddenly cried Dindonette, breaking into the farewell speech of the genius. I quite forgot to fix the time when Cornichon should, in his turn, grow young. Oh, how stupid of me. And now I fear it is too late, for I ought to have declared it before I touched Tupet with the ring. Oh, dear, oh, dear, why did nobody warn me? You were so quick, replied Selnozura, who had long been aware of the mischief the fairy had again done. And we can only wait now till Cornichon shall have reached the utmost limits of his decay, when he will drink of the water and become a baby once more, so that Tupet will have to spend her life as a nurse, a wife, and a caretaker. After the anxiety of mind and the weakness of body to which for so long Tupet had been prey, it seemed as if she could not amuse herself enough, and it was seldom indeed that she found time to visit poor Cornichon, though she did not cease to be fond of him or to be kind to him. Still, she was perfectly happy without him. And this the poor man did not fail to see, almost blind and deaf from age though he was. But it was left to Cristopo to undo at last the work of Dindonette, and give Cornichon back the youth he had lost. And this the genius did all the more gladly, as he discovered, quite by accident, that Cornichon was, in fact, his son. It was on this plea that he attended the great yearly meeting of the fairies, and prayed that, in consideration of his services to so many of the members, this one boon might be granted him. Such a request had never before been heard in fairyland, and was objected to by some of the older fairies. But both Cristopo and Selnozura were held in such high honor 
that the murmurs of disgust were set aside. And the latest victim to the enchanted fountain was pronounced to be free of the spell. All that the genius asked in return was that he might accompany the fairy back to Bagota and be present when his son assumed his proper shape. They made up their minds that they would just tell Tupet that they had found a husband for her and give her a pleasant surprise at her wedding, which was fixed for the following night. She heard the news with astonishment and many pangs for the grief which Cornichon would certainly feel at his place being taken by another. But she did not dream of disobeying the fairy and spent the whole day wondering who the bridegroom could be. At the appointed hour, a large crowd assembled at the fairy's palace, which was decorated with the sweetest flowers, known only to fairyland. Tupet had taken her place. But where was the bridegroom? Fetch Cornichon, said the fairy to her chamberlain. But Tupet interposed. Oh, madam, spare him, I entreat you, this bitter pain, and let him remain hidden and in peace. It is necessary that he should be here, answered the fairy, and he will not regret it. And as she spoke, Cornichon was led in, smiling with the foolishness of extreme old age at the sight of the gay crowd. Bring him here, commanded the fairy, waving her hand towards Tupet, who started back from surprise and horror. Selnazura then took the hand of the poor old man, and the genius came forward and touched him three times with his ring, when Cornichon was transformed into a handsome young man. May you live long, the genius said, to enjoy happiness with your wife and to love your father. And that was the end of the mischief wrought by the fairy Dindonette.